I'm Nathan, and welcome to Stories with a Twang. For today's episode, I'm going to read another spooktacular story by Catherine Tucker Wyndham, this time from 13 Tennessee Ghosts and Jeffrey. The story is called The Rosary. Dr. J. Lake McCleary, M.D., had worked all day moving boxes, medical instruments, and furniture into his new office in Charleston, Tennessee, and he was very tired. He did not welcome the intrusion of the stranger who stopped in the doorway to gaze around the office. Looks like you're about to get moved in, Dr. McCleary, the stranger said. I'm Hornsby. He extended his hand. Dr. McCleary shifted his armload of books and shook hands with his visitor. Yes, I'm making progress, he replied. He was in no mood for interruptions of any kind, but he did not wish to appear rude. Don't look like you got a skeleton in your office, the visitor observed. The old doc, the one who was here before you came, said a real store by the skeleton he had. You ain't got one. No, no skeleton. Dr. McCleary knew that it was fashionable for doctors to have human skeletons in their offices, but he did not like them. The reassembled human bones gave him the creeps. The old doc used to say he didn't feel like a doctor's office was quite right unless it had a nice skeleton hanging in it. Hornsby continued. He watched Dr. McCleary arrange the books on a shelf in his glass front bookcase before he added, Old Doc told me we were pretty good friends, and he used to tell me a lot. He had to wait a long time before he could get a skeleton for his office. Just never could seem to get together enough money to buy one. Of course, there was the war and reconstruction. Not many folks had any money then. It wasn't too long after the war, though, along about, uh, 1868 or 1869, that Doc got his skeleton. I always wondered where he got the money to buy it. He never said. Dr. McCleary was bored with the talk of skeletons, and he was very tired. He wished his elderly uninvited guest would take his memories of the old Doc and go away. The old Doc, Hornsbury began, then he paused. Maybe he was aware that Dr. McCleary was not listening, that he was bored. Well, I know this wasn't a good time to visit. I'll come back another time after you're settled. Thank you for stopping by, Dr. McCleary said. He hoped his relief didn't show in his voice. Oh, just one more thing, Hornsbury said. This building is haunted, you know. Don't let the ghost scare you. Then he walked away. Haunted? Dr. McCleary shrugged his weary shoulders. He wanted a ghost even less than he wanted a skeleton. Since he intended to have neither, he dismissed both possibilities and went back to work. He was adjusting his table in the examination room, placing it where it would have the best light when out of the corner of his eye, he saw a figure move across the waiting room. Who's there? He called. Surely the long-winded visitor had not returned. There was no reply to his question. Who's there? He called again. And again there was silence. He walked quickly into the waiting room. It was deserted. So was the hall. Strange, he said to himself. I was sure I saw someone go into the waiting room, someone wearing a dark robe. I must really be tired to be having such hallucinations. I do believe it's time to go home. He locked the door and walked home through the late April twilight. Several days later, late one afternoon, Dr. McCleary saw the figure again. He had treated his last patient and was returning a reference book to the bookcase when he saw in the glass door the reflection of someone draped in a brown garment. Dr. McCleary whirled around to accost the intruder, but no one was in the room. He searched the adjoining areas immediately, but he found nothing. 
He was alone in his office, and though he was reluctant to admit it to himself, he was a little frightened. Maybe not frightened exactly, but certainly uneasy. Catching glimpses of the elusive robed figure was not his only disquieting experience. On several occasions when he was alone in his office, Dr. McCleary heard a peculiar clicking noise that sounded as if someone were hitting two marbles together. Though he searched everywhere, he could not find the source of the rhythmic clicking. As those unexplained sightings and noises continued, Dr. McCleary recalled the visit of Mr. Hornsbury the day he moved into his office, and he thought about his talk of skeletons and a ghost. He wished he had been more hospitable. There were questions he wanted to ask. Then, almost as if he had conjured him, Mr. Hornsbury again stood in the doorway of his office, just as he had that first afternoon. Well, Hornsbury said, looks like you're all settled. No skeletons yet, I see. No, Dr. McCleary answered, no skeleton. He was tempted to add, there may be a ghost though, but he didn't. Instead, he said, come in and have a seat. I'd like to know more about the old doc as you call him. He listened with a special interest to the stories about old Doc's heroism during the Great Flood of 1867. The enduring story of the flood is the account of the wreck on the East Tennessee and Georgia Railroad there in Charleston. It was a terrible tragedy. Dr. McCleary's visitor told the story of that wreck in great detail, spending a lot of time on the history of the railroad itself. It was obvious that the man was something of a railroad nut, and Dr. McCleary was a bit impatient for him to get to the part he wanted to hear, the part about old Doc. But first, Hornsbury told how the railroad bridge across the Hiawassee River just north of Charleston was the first railroad bridge in Tennessee, and he gave a full description of that bridge. He told how in 1861, four carefully chosen arsonists, all of them Union sympathizers, burned the bridge to keep it from being used by Confederate forces. Those were bad times, Hornsbury commented, and Dr. McCleary agreed. Soon after the war ended, the bridge was rebuilt and the railroad was in operation again. By 1867, railroading on this line was almost back to normal, Hornsbury said. Then the rains came. Day after day it rained, a steady, saturating downpour. The ground was soggy and soft as a sponge. Creeks rose and dumping their muddy waters into the Hiawassee River. Veteran river watches checked the rise of the Hiawassee, saw it move above the high water marks of other years, and they wondered how high it would rise on the piers of the railroad bridge before the rain ceased. Nobody in Charleston, it seems, checked the condition of the railroad roadbed. Nobody thought of the danger there until too late. The southbound train came rolling through the rain into Charleston headed for Dalton, Georgia, and points south. The train had passed a string of small Tennessee towns, Loudoun, Philadelphia, Sweetwater, Mouse Creek, Athens, and Riceville before it crossed the Hiawassee River Bridge and ceased toward the Charleston Depot. Between the river and the depot, sections of the roadbed gave way beneath the weight of the train. The engine and the string of cars derailed and tumbled down an embankment. Drenching rain fell on the tangled mass of wreckage. From that wreckage rose the screams and moans of passengers and crewmen. The sounds of the crash brought almost the entire populace of Charleston to the scene. They sloshed through the downpour to free the trapped victims to remove the injured and the dead. The casualty list was long. There was no hospital in Charleston, so the injured were taken into homes. A temporary morgue was set up in the depot where, much later, family members came to claim the bodies of their dead. Old Doc was mighty busy during that time, Dr. McCleary's visitor told him. 
I wasn't around then, but I've heard all about it from old Doc. And I've heard other people tell about how he went from house to house taking care of the injured. Folks he didn't even know taking care of strangers. They say he worked day and night until he was so worn out he collapsed. It took old Doc a long time to get his strength back. I believe he had to go spend maybe a month at a health resort somewhere. By the time he got back home, the rain had stopped, of course. The wreckage had been moved off and the tracks had been fixed. Dr. McClary found his mind straying. He was getting more information about the flood than he really wanted. He was wishing that Hornsbury would end his stories when he suddenly became aware that the man was saying something interesting. Never did find that monk, he was saying. What monk? Dr. McClary asked. I guess I wasn't listening very well. I'm sorry. Please tell me about the monk. So Mr. Hornsbury told the story of the missing monk. According to his story, a young Catholic monk, a native of Baltimore, had been aboard that ill-fated train en route to New Orleans. He never arrived at his destination, and nobody heard from him. About a week after the wreck, his brothers and sister came to Charleston to search for their brother. They were almost certain that he had lost his life in the accident, but he was not listed among the casualties. Immediately after their arrival in Charleston, the brother and sister checked the identities of the dead. They inquired at all the homes where the injured had been cared for. They organized search parties to scour the countryside and to patrol the riverbanks where a body might surface. During their investigation, the family found several people who remembered seeing the brown-clad monk on the train. A few of them reported having conversations with him, but nobody recalled seeing him after the wreck. He had apparently disappeared completely. After the grieving family members had exhausted all hope of finding their missing brother, they prepared to return to their homes in Baltimore. They delayed their home going a few days, however, hoping that the doctor would come back to Charleston so that they could ask him about their brother. They had been told of the exhausting work the doctor had done for the victims of the wreck, and they were aware of his need for recuperative rest. But they did wish they could ask him if they had any recollection of having treated or having seen a young monk. Their wish was never fulfilled, for they never got to talk with the doctor. It was some time after they had returned to Baltimore before the doctor came back to Charleston. When he got home, he still looked worn and wan, and he did not care to talk about his recent experiences. He was distressingly silent and withdrawn. Residents recalled until several weeks after his return, he displayed a skeleton in his office. He perked up then. Nobody knew where the skeleton came from but everybody in Charleston knew of the doctor's pride in his new possession. He called people in from the streets to see it, and he must have said a hundred times, I've wanted a skeleton in my office for some time since I've been practicing medicine, and now after all these years my wish has been fulfilled. It's a perfect skeleton, just perfect. That skeleton hung in the old doctor's office as long as he practiced medicine in Charleston. The stories of the train wreck and of the skeleton answered some questions that had been puzzling Dr. McCleary, but they raised some disquieting possibilities. Long after his guest had departed, Dr. McCleary sat in his office and thought of the stories he had heard. As he sat there, quiet and alone, he heard again the distinct clicking sound, the sound he had associated with marbles being struck together. But could it be the clicking of beads? Could it? He pushed the thought out of his mind. As he turned to leave the office, Dr. McCleary saw a robed figure scurry across the room. Could I really be seeing a ghost? He asked aloud. 
He shook his head in disbelief. Dr. McCleary was a scientific man, a logical man, with nothing in his background to prepare him for accepting the reality of ghosts. Yet he kept remembering a bit of folklore he had heard long ago. He remembered hearing that if a person's body is not given proper burial, his restless spirit will eternally haunt the area where he lost his life. But of course, Dr. McCleary told himself he didn't believe in such superstitious nonsense. In the years that followed, Dr. McCleary and many of his patients continued to hear the clicking sounds and to see the brown-clad phantom figure in his office. Dr. McCleary continued to wonder. In 1932, the structure where Dr. McCleary had practiced medicine was demolished. Workmen tearing out the interior of the building came across two strange relics. Hanging from a stud between the office walls were a monk's brown habit and an ivory rosary. I hope you all enjoyed this week's story. There are some fantastic photos and illustrations that go along with this week's stories that I will be posting over on social media, so make sure to go check that out over at Stories with a Twang Podcast on Facebook and Instagram. If you have any stories you would like me to read on the podcast, please send them to storieswithatwang at gmail.com. I do have several that I've gotten over the past few weeks that I plan on reading in the next couple of episodes. It would mean a lot if you would share the show with your friends and family and give the show a review wherever you listen to it. Thank you again for listening. Have a great week and remember that a little twang goes a long way.